Welcome to Inbeta, where we ask the big questions about digital policy and human rights. My name is Charles Bradley, and I'm the Executive Director here at Global Partners Digital. We relaunched this podcast as a way of keeping track of the developments during the COVID-19 pandemic. Each week, we release a short episode talking to other experts in the field, understanding different dimensions of how this is impacting human rights and digital policy. This week, we're speaking to Chatao Kuma from GPD. Well, welcome to the show, Chatao. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Excellent. Um, for our listeners, um, why don't you introduce yourself and your role at GPD? Of course. Thanks, Charles. So my name is Chitel Kumar, and I'm a senior program lead here at GPD, where I lead a cybersecurity um, capacity building program and also our cyber policy work at the global level. So that includes our engagement at the UN First Committee, for example, which is the, um, the committee that focuses on international peace and security. Excellent. And that's exactly what we want to be talking about today. So you've been engaging very closely with that um, committee and the sort of cyber norms conversations at the global level, the GGE and the Open Ended Working Group. Um, and before this was, for the whole sort of COVID-19 pandemic, you're regularly sort of flying out to New York and uh, attending sort of these huge meetings of diplomats and policymakers, etc. Um, how has the pandemic actually affected uh, those processes? Well, um, yes, so we have been we have been engaging um, in the in those processes, like you say, mostly the open ended working group and ICTs, both of the processes you mentioned, the open ended working group and the GGE were set up at the same time in 2018, um, which feels like a really long time ago now, doesn't it? And um, one of them is much more open than the other, namely the the OEWG. So we have been engaging in that one. Um, and we attended the February meeting, actually, just before the outbreak really uh, of, of COVID-19 took hold. Um, and since then, um, just as elsewhere in the UN, meetings um, of the OEWG have been cancelled, rescheduled or taken online, um, which is what we're expecting to see for the negotiations that were planned for the end of May. Um, They're going to be taking place online instead. Um, So virtual negotiations will be happening in June. We don't know very much about those as um, NGOs because we haven't received the same information as uh, member states. But from what we hear um, from uh, colleagues in, in delegations is that those uh, meetings will take place, um, like I said, in early June, and they will attempt to replace those negotiations. And um, there will be three of them. Um, addressing all the areas of the mandate. But from what we've heard and, and my conversation um, with the member, um, the representative of that delegation, those are going to be tricky because what we can already tell from um, the discussion so far is there are some pretty big areas of, of the OEWG's mandate that haven't been agreed on um, and trying to negotiate that and iron those issues out online is, um, as I've just said, expected to be hard. Absolutely, yeah. And then something that's already hard without this uh, sort of pandemic taking hold and the, 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 the difficulties of meeting in person, etc. Um, so multilateralism already faced, yeah. like, you know, a number of threats before the, the crisis. So let's, if we just zoom out a little bit the, from the OEWG to the sort of the broader landscape, there's obviously been this rise of nationalism. There's, you know, these increased tensions between states. 
Um, there's a sort of uh, withdrawal of certain states from the international um, sort of uh, framework and, and, and from sort of the promotion and, and sort of consent of the international human rights framework as well. Um, I wonder whether, you know, we've been thinking about sort of what the impact will be on these long-standing dynamics of, of the pandemic. Um, and have we seen any of these uh, play out yet? We certainly have. Um, I think that uh, th this has been quite um, quite commented on, actually, the fact that um, what we're seeing is um, the pandemic amplify and highlight longstanding geopolitical dynamics. And one in particular, actually, uh, namely uh, between China and the US. So the UN has been trying to negotiate a resolution on COVID for, for a while now, for a few weeks, and hasn't been able to um, because of this, uh, this disagreement. Um, and I think it was just last Friday when uh, the the resolution was blocked again uh, on COVID. And one part of that resolution is um, the, the Secretary General's uh, call for a ceasefire during this time. It's, it's a key part of that resolution. But it's not that, actually, that's been the stumbling block. But it, the, the disagreement between China and Russia has really come to the fore here. And um, it, it has meant that the UN, for the first time since its creation, uh, has not been able to agree um, on a common approach or, or really yeah, on a resolution during the time of a pandemic. That wasn't the case during Ebola, during AIDS, the AIDS crisis. You know, this is really the first time and... Um, and that is, of course, of concern. Um, and it's not just the UN. Uh, we've seen, you know, quite a lot of finger pointing and blame game <laughs> dynamics going on also in the EU. Uh, there have been disagreements about you know, the econ economic response. And um, there has been a, a couple of, of uh, multilateral forums that have managed to agree on things. Uh, so the IMF and World Bank have issued a joint statement. Uh, so, you know, there has been something um, that that they've been able to agree on. NATO has done the same. But really, you know, there's, there's really key multilateral forums we are seeing, unfortunately, um, an inability to kind of come together and agree on these really important um, these really important issues and a lot of finger pointing going on. Saying that, uh, the UN uh, General Assembly has come up with an approach to continuing its business, um, and it's laid that out on its website. So member states are continuing to discuss and draft and vote on resolutions via silence procedure during this time. So, um, you know, things are things are happening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask, like, is it... Um, uh, one or the other or both? Is it the substance that they're disagreeing on or the approach that um, they're disagreeing on or, or both at the moment? So I think it's both. Um, this, you know, with the resolution um, I, I just mentioned on, on COVID-19, uh, the UN Secretary um, General's um, call and, and the Security Council um, discussions on that, that really relates to substance. But there are also disagreements from what we hear internally when it comes to the OEWG and other processes about the 
um, the process and whether actually the attempts to find alternatives or the alternatives that are being proposed, like the silence procedures and virtual negotiations, are actually legal and whether or not you know, they abide by the rules of procedure that were set out originally when these processes were set up. There's disagreements there and obviously they're amplified by the existing um, disagreements uh, in, in terms of substance. Um, between countries, but they are there's now this new you know area of disagreement, which is around you know the legal implications and whether or not what is being proposed and the process is is sufficient and acceptable for everyone. So uh, it's both really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite interesting. We've seen at the you know the the national level a lot of sort of. Uh, difference of opinions in, between different nation states of how how to apply sort of the, the the principles of due process at a time when you know parliaments and legislatures can't meet and and, and uh, decision makers can't meet, um, but we're obviously going to see the return of um, national level work and policy making much uh, quicker than we will at the international level because of the the risks of flattening the curve and reducing the risk of COVID nineteen mm-hmm. at the international level is just that much more complicated and, and, and much more difficult because it requires a lot of international travel and, and, and meetings, um, uh, large meetings, of, um, often in person, which may be impossible for the sort of the coming months and, and maybe years. Um, are there any sort of predicted timelines for when it might sort of return to normal, um, if, it, if it ever will? And, and if it won't, so what might that new normal look like for, for multilateralism and, and the, the workings of, of these important organisations? Well, I think those some of those are impossible questions to answer at the moment, um, but they're really important questions, obviously. And um, every day, it seems like that those timeframes are are subject to change and uh, even um, with the OEWG, for example, the, ju- their, the last meeting of um, the OEWG is meant to take place in July. And the official information on that is that it's still going to go ahead. I mean, we all know that's not going to happen. But um, there's so much that needs to be considered with that. Um, there's the UN General Assembly um, meeting in September, which was also meant to be the 75th anniversary of the UN. Um, they're thinking about you know how to uh, how to make sure that goes ahead in some form. So all, all the other processes you know that feed into that are are waiting to hear what's going to happen with that. So um, there is still this hope that uh, towards the end of the year there will be some travel and there will be some at least you know perhaps um, a reduced timetable of events. For, for the General Assembly, but still, you know, something. Um, but I think wh- whatever will ha- whatever happens, um, there will be a, a mix and match of online and in-person, um, certainly for, for the next few months. Um, but like I said, you know, this is all subject to change. Um, and I suppose the more we get used to online meetings um, and doing, you know, the uh, t- these processes online, the more, the easier it's going to be to simply do more of them online, um, and that might result in financial, you know, cost savings as well. Uh, so, so yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many, so many question marks, and obviously uh, difficult to put a, put a fine point on it now. But there, there seems to be a number of different 
dynamic sort of playing out if we just sort of look at the uh, nation states and, and the governments um, obviously sort of a, a UN General Assembly that takes place sort of virtually or online and in person in September will impact different states differently um, uh-huh. if it's likely to take place in New York uh, time zone challenges for uh, yeah. governments who, who can't um, travel um, or if there are sort of travel bans for certain countries and not for others, it does feel like there might be uh, particular sort of dynamics just within within the within the government. So there um, conversations of that sort at the moment as well, like how to ensure a, a sort of a level playing field for 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 nation states um, in in the such a such a meeting at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the key areas of, of tension and concern as well is is that um, the fact that not you know not all member states will have the same access, um, and you know the the fact that the the platforms and all these logistics like you were, you were mentioning like time zones um, will have to be considered. So that that's really key. Um, I think generally within the U, within the UN, you know, there is um, this uh, understanding of and respect for that for that need to be for there to be a living playing field. It's just um, it's just a question of doing that in this context. But for us as well, we see as in, as NGOs um, the consideration of other stakeholders within the system is is something that doesn't always get thought about, um, even in normal times or even pre-COVID. Um, so, you know, that's also something um, that needs to be thought about. And that, you know, the the, the le- level of attention that's been given to that really depends on the level of openness of whatever process you're talking about before, um, before the pandemic struck. If it was open before, it's much more likely that those running the process in member states will be thinking about how to engage other stakeholders. Absolutely. And as you say, it was, it was, it was difficult before, uh, particularly in certain multilateral discussions, to include um, non-state actors, particularly you know, from our side, civil, civil society. Um, and you're saying that there, with this sort of move to remote diplomacy, this may be sort of making this um, even harder. Um, if that is the case, sort of, are there ways in which you know we should be pushing back or or in, engaging with these processes right now? Um, do you see this as a an opportunity opportunity as well as as well as a risk for a greater participation and openness in these processes? Yes. So. That is the big question for us, because like I said, um, you know, there are so many questions that member states are grappling with and the the administrative organs as well that that run these processes have to think through, you know, all the legal questions and the logistical questions to do with member state um, discussions and how they can take place online or be supplemented by online meetings. And that is, you know, a whole area, a whole um, kettle of fish of its own that needs to be dealt with. But um, there is also the engagement of non-government stakeholders and civil society and NGOs in the UN system are so important as well. But that can take, um, you know, back, you know, uh, become less of a priority for those uh, who are trying to just figure out how to do things um, uh, online. And I think in that sense, it's an opportunity for us to propose um, ways that uh, discussions can be inclusive 
of civil society during this period, um, especially those who have been engaged in the internet governance uh, landscape uh, for a while. Um, internet governance forums have been, you know, uh, experimenting and using remote participation for a long time. The IGF is an example. ICANN is another example. So there's some really good examples we can draw on and push. Um, but like I said, you know, the openness um, of these processes, it really depends on how open they were before. And the OEWG on ICTs isn't a, a really good example. But um, the, the GGE on... Uh, lethal autonomous weapon systems, for example, GG on laws, is, is is an open, uh, much more open process, and um, or has been functioning as as um, in that way for a while now, and that uh, recently ran a an online meeting inclusive of civil society, which seemed to, according from you know to what I've seen and read, seemed to work out quite well. The OEWG is still um, thinking through how to do that. And we, I think, as civil society, can propose um, proactively um, virtual meetings and recommendations and best practices that we've observed elsewhere to try and shape that process. I think there is certainly openness from some member states um, and from the chair, for example, and others involved. But there is a lot going on um, and there is a lot they're trying to figure out. And they do, um, I think they, they will probably need some support. And this is our opportunity to make sure that they hear everything they need to hear. Um, apart from, you know, the, the negative impact, of course, of, of uh, not being able to attend meetings. There is also the potential positive side of um, having more people be able to partake in online or virtual discussions because um, they don't have to travel. So travel is obviously very expensive. And one of the reasons that UN processes have been very challenging to engage with for those um, with you know few resources to be able to travel to the and stay in New York for days on end um, doesn't apply anymore. So really, there are some opportunities, but they do need to be built into the process and they do need to be, um, yeah, they do need to be considered from the outset. And so we're hoping that now as the OEWG, for example, considers how to do online virtual um, negotiations with member states, they will be listening to us as well as we propose recommendations for how to engage with civil society and take those up. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it feels like there's a lot of a lot to be done now and into the long tail of of the um, of the impact of this on on multilateral processes and something that we should be doing a lot of work on and supporting others to do as well. So, um, um, but in summary, it's a it's a it's a stay tuned uh, message uh, from Chateau as a, as we don't know all the details. Um, it's very difficult to predict at this time. Um, Great, Chatel, thanks so much for talking us through all of that and, and uh, getting into some of the more sort of practical and substantive uh, difficulties that um, multilateral forums are facing um, due to uh, the, the, the pandemic. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Charles. Just one thing to shout out before we end. Last week, along with organisations including ISOC and CDT, we launched the Global Encryption Coalition, it's a joint initiative to support human rights defenders working to promote strong encryption standards. For the launch, we ran a series of public webinars with a range of experts from around the world looking at trends around encryption in the context of COVID-19. Shital Kumar from this podcast 
actually moderated the conversation with special rapporteur Joe Kanatachi on Five Eyes. These are now available to stream online and are well worth a watch if you're following this issue. The Coalition has lots planned for the coming months, and if you want to stay in the loop, take a look at the website and follow us on Twitter. We'll drop all the relevant links below the episode as usual. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, goodbye.